0: In Europe, it's a little bit different in that the market is so much more nascent and there's so much less overall volume going on. I I mean, if you look at the numbers of venture capital funding that happens, I know the numbers for Germany. Hmm. All of the venture funding for biotech companies in Germany combined is less than all the companies that Lab Central raised, like in one building of ours in in Kendall. (laughs) It's crazy. You're talking... Uh, two, three billion dollars a year. And in, in Germany, you, you raise a, a few hundred million in aggregate, right? So, so that's sad. And uh, we want to help that. Hey,
1: Philip here. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Flood Bio Show, where I interview the best Europeans in biotech to help you be inspired and grow. And today I'm in Paris to talk with Johannes Frioff who is the CEO of of Biolabs. And I'm not just anywhere in Paris, I'm literally in front of Notre Dame, and I'm going there, where you have the, the Biolabs Hotel new, which is in the, the former hospital. And I'm amazed that there is 10,000 square meters of labs and offices here on the island in the hyper center of, of Paris. Quick words about Johannes. I've known him for, for almost a decade. I actually almost worked for him when I was living in Boston. Um, and Johannes is a, is a German MD who then went on to found a biotech company after his postdoc at, at Harvard. Then he co-founded BioLabs and the sister nonprofit uh, Lab Central, and he's also a general partner in a, in a seed fund. And today BioLabs is the biggest networking or co-working labs slash incubators in the world has over 14 locations in 10 different geographies including three in Europe so actually this one another one in Paris and one in, in Heidelberg um, and today we will talk about reinventing uh, co-working laboratories for biotech startups like about money and profitability and much more so let's head inside and talk to Leonov.
0: All right, so Johannes, welcome to the show. Good morning Philippe, nice to see you, and thanks for
1: having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Right. Great to great to be here. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, from the intro, people can can see the, the where where we are. I mean, it's amazing to be in front of Notre Dame. That's a great location. That's unbelievable. Uh, Absolutely. I think yeah, let's let's actually talk about. I mean, start start with this, not just Notre Dame, but talk about maybe from the zooming out a bit on how how and why you managed to basically reinvent co-working labs co-working space slash incubators for for biotech.
0: yeah um yeah let's let's start thinking yeah happy to uh, talk about that um so th- this goes back to really the uh, financial crisis or eight or nine and the aftermath of of this I, we I had I uh, co-founded a company previously that we sold in in 2010. And that was done still in like the traditional format, right? Like you raise a bunch of money and then you try to find a place where to do your science work. This all happens in Boston at the yeah, time. Yeah. And so, yeah, we had, we had we were scientists. We had a good, I think, good piece of technology. There were some investors who put a bunch of money towards it. But it took us about a year, nine months, ten months, before we could actually do the first experiments because I had to go out, find lab space, get an architect to build a lab and get the permits to do the construction and then find the workers, etc. right? Like all things that are tedious. We are not experts, right? I make mistakes. I'm a scientist. I'm, I'm, I'm not a real estate person. And so we learned the hard way that um, it's not a great, Use of time for scientists to be doing real estate, yeah. and then so. But that company we saw, It's a company called Sequent Pharmaceuticals. Uh, we sold it in 2010, and I was looking what to do next. I had a, I had a startup with a French friend of mine, uh, Philippe Langella. He is yeah. at Inra uh, here in uh, outside of Paris. We had a cool uh, Microbial. concept microbiome. You remember that? Yes, yeah. Uh, by Thera <laughs> uh, doing you know, engineered microbes yeah. for, for gut health and for inflammatory bowel disease and things like that. Um, but it was very hard for us to raise money yeah. at the time. So what do you do? You have an idea. We had people, we had a small lab, and uh, we had costs, but we had very little ways of raising money. We yeah. got a little bit of money from Johnson & Johnson at the time. But we, this is now, we're talking 2010 yeah. timeframe. frame. It was still... Very hard for people to raise money. I think it was comparable to the times we are facing now yeah. in the U.S. At least uh, startups are having a very hard time raising money. So we we look to to supplement our income somehow, and we we did CRO type services for VCs and for other people yeah. um, on the side while we were advancing our own agenda and. In the process, we worked with many founders and startups out of the venture funds yeah. that ended up needing space. And so eventually so we told saw- them to use, use our existing last. So you
1: realized that the problem you had in your first startup, other entrepreneurs, found
0: VCs, had this similar the similar problem. Yeah, well, it wasn't a conscious problem because that's the way you did things, right? right? Um it's only um, sort of really in reflection that you see. Oh, this was a really bad way of doing it, <laughs> uh, and and now. So so while we were doing this this work as sort of a CRO, and we were uh, working a lot with the local VC firms, mm-hmm. with all the big firms in Boston, they sent us things that they wanted a little bit of biology work done, a PCR, a qPCR assay, um, an ELISA, some some other like biomarker work. And mostly this was to validate academic concepts before they were going to make an investment. Um, we would use a few data, you, if it's reproduced. Absolutely. <laughs> before you put the big money, yeah. right? Um, there, There is this crisis of, of science where a lot of stuff gets published that's not real, right? Or that's yeah. not reproducible. Maybe it's not outright fraud, but it's so complicated that... Um, it can't really be reproduced outside of the specific conditions. So that's what we were tasked with. And many projects that we tested and gave a green light for became companies. They got funding and they mm-hmm. became companies and then they needed some space. And in, in the initial stages, they only needed like a bench or two. Mm-hmm. And we had that in our lab. So we we t- taught the newly hired scientists for this project how to do things. And they they grew in our lab. And before you know it, you have five or six such other projects in your lab. Uh, they were our friends and clients at the same time. And then I started getting inbound calls uh, from people who said, oh, I hear you're renting lab space. I didn't know I was renting <laughs> lab space. I, I knew I was doing like a service shop for yeah. the VCs and our colleagues. and But then over time, it became clear that that was actually a Pretty good business, and that there was a strong demand. Certainly, you know, we started in Kendall Square, which is sort of the hotbed of
1: biotech founder. And, and uh, 2010 yeah. was all already pretty sizable.
0: Yeah, enzymes. yeah. Correct.
1: Yeah. Um, as around, and, you know, they might see it was already yeah.
0: And as uh, our uh, context also. Yeah. The, uh, so, and Yeah, Yeah. So, and we caught a period where it was hard to raise money or it was. Not impossible, but difficult to raise money. So companies and founders needed to be very capital efficient, right? So after a crisis, I think in a crisis moment, that's when new things gets invented. New, New models get established, right? Like people would have continued to do it the old and inefficient way, I think. But here there was a crisis and a challenge, and we happened to have a solution for it. We didn't like magically or, or you didn't really market study it. In. Into it. No, <laughs> it's just like the market came to us and showed us this thing, and we were able to grasp it and, and grow it quickly, mm. right? And so we were then adding more space than we needed ourselves to just build it out uh, for our friends and then clients. Yeah, and so the idea also what, what set us apart from other people is that. We had, of course, the labs built for our own needs. So it, it was very close to the needs of our uh, colleagues as well. So fully equipped labs. We had the permits. We did the purchasing of our own chemicals and they could use our suppliers hmm. and everything. So it was very convenient for them because they could come in and do science on day one. Um, that's what we what we scaled. That uh, program is, is what we scaled. And... Um, through, like every three or four months we added more space and eventually we saw that this is the real thing and we had some very successful companies come through that raised hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. and so I was able to then take that uh, to the state of Massachusetts and they gave us this grant that created Lab Central. That's why we have these two entities, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, BioLabs as well as Lab Central. Wow.
1: That's right. And then... I didn't even know really the, the super early early days actually. Because I, I I I mean we I was living in Boston, we met yeah. when that Central opened and we have some we did an interview there. And I mean that's really amazing space. And I mean I was really I, I had never seen something like this. Really this I and I think what sets also quite apart is I mean, yes, there's, there's a very functional aspect of capital efficiency, but also there's just the energy. And the community that is really yeah. vibrant. How there's there's something.
0: Yeah. So it, we we now understand that um, the community, the placemaking, and the connections that we are able to help yeah. create are as important as the space, yeah. uh, or as the lab functionality. Yeah. So I use this sentence when I when I tell uh, my people what they should do is we we do two things we reduce friction and we increase collisions. So you reduce friction by building nice spaces and building functional labs, right? Like hopefully we have all the lab tools and toys that you need to do your science. Hmm. And hopefully we build labs that are safe and we build labs that have the right corridor width and the right height of the tables and things, right? Uh, And all the equipment that you require. That's reducing friction. And then we increase collisions, that's be- not not hopefully people carrying chemicals, but that's <laughs> people meeting in our cafes yeah. and meeting at our events and making more opportunity for this serendipitous connection yeah. between an investor and a founder raising money, or between a scientist looking for work and a startup mm-hmm. hiring a new team, right? And all of these we don't we are unable to predict what and who is going to meet, but we create the opportunity for it. And we are actually fairly deliberate about it. Uh, We have developed very stringent design rules about how we build our spaces, use a lot of glass, um, use a lot of common and open space. Sometimes it's even intimidating for people who are not used to this because there's not a lot of privacy in our space. Every conference room, every office you can look into. And that's by design. Um, many of our colleagues are more introverted types, that's why we go into science, not politics or sales and so we can help them with uh, with, with some of the way that we design the spaces um, after a, an initial period of shock and uh, hesitation uh, most people love it yeah. and what you see if you go to any one of our labs even here which is the one of the youngest places yeah. now there's a strong buzz in the cafe, there's yeah. people connecting and they talk about science, they talk about finance, but they also talk about private things like where they go on the weekend. And that's a we wonderful... You conne- make connections. It's a wonderful it's way like, to make connections. No, I think just in the space, I was talking to him
1: about so meeting him like in the last year and he's just there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's,
0: it's silly, right? It, it's, it, it's a really cool thing, this community of people because we are pulling together the... The like-minded people, so the scientists and engineers who have an interest in entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in Paris, with this facility, we're creating a place for that community. Yeah. Of course, this is still small and interim, but it's got this big vision of the the what will be the largest biotech incubator in Europe, right? In a few yeah. years when we build out the Western wing of this. That's
1: yes, 2028 World all
0: Yeah. 20- Two things. I'm saying in a few years. We should, in a few years. Another thing. The, the, the years is so far out that I don't even know how to think in four years, um, but like in a few years. In a few you, years. We'll, yeah. uh, that's crazy. Yeah.
1: And so I get what was missing, what I also curious as in today, I mean, the, the community space, I get it, but then I'm curious also from uh, in Boston. I mean, it's a bit different formats. Compared to Europe as well, but from how how do you like what are your competitors today or what's stuff? I mean, I think a lot of startups at least student, would would still have a lab space at the academic at the academic lab and continue to do some experiment until they're like big enough to rent a space at one of the hospitals here in Paris or at whatever some more like science parks or something. So yeah, just curious of is it the same? Yeah, where where do you? When you place
0: yourself there, or like how? Yeah. Does it? Well, it, it. I think we have to take each market uh, by itself, yeah. uh-huh. right? In Boston, we were the first place to build this type of co-working for labs. Um, there had been incubators before, yeah. uh, typically done by universities or by real estate people, and many didn't really meet the needs of this community. That's why we grew fastest and that's why we, our brand is still sort of a very well-regarded brand mm-hmm. in the in the space because we are scientists and we are entrepreneurs and we build spaces for ourselves and mm-hmm. that's what people want. So if uh, you compare that with the pre- previously existing incubators, they typically did not produce very strong companies. They produced mm-hmm. mediocre or weak companies. Mm-hmm. And... So that's like completely different in, in our case. I believe that has to do with who we are as a group, as, as a, f- a founding team and our own experience that sort of lived in the space and yeah, yeah. built on this. Now, that gave us an opportunity to be the first uh, such group in Boston and in many other cities in the United States where we quickly expanded. We are now in like eight states and mm. 14 cities, I think, and we're building more. But there are are now people who see this concept and who do this themselves, right? It's a little bit like, of course, my team sometimes is very upset when there's a new competitor coming up to the market. And I tell them, look, it's sort of like you invent the idea of a hotel, right? Okay, we, we did invent yeah. the idea of the hotel for scientists, but you cannot patent that. You shouldn't be upset if other people see that this is a good model. Good of confirmation doing- Absolutely, the yeah. right? And so it's a challenge for us. We have to Provide better community, better service, better value for the entrepreneurs. And then they'll continue to work with us. Yeah. Um, there are a number of groups. I'm not going to highlight them. Uh, some are better uh, than others. Uh, none are better than us. Um, <laughs> but um, there's also a, a lot of hype going on in, in lab real estate now. Yeah. And just because it's a cop and an asset class in commercial real estate, and so that means there's huge money behind it. And some people are trying to sort of use our model or or say that they have something similar to BioLabs, but it's hard. Like, if you're a real estate person, it's very hard to to really learn the needs of the scientists, right, or or live the life of a scientist. Um, So we're not so worried about that. In Europe, it's a little bit... So this is all in the United States. In Europe, it's a little bit different in that the market is so much more nascent and there's so much less overall volume going on. I I mean, if you look at the numbers of venture capital funding that happens... I know the numbers for Germany.
1: Mm.
0: All of the venture funding for biotech companies in Germany combined is less than... Like if you look at any year... Hmm. Uh, since 2016 is less than all the companies at Lab Central raised, like in one building of ours in in Kendall. It, yeah. It's crazy. We're, you're talking uh, two or three billion dollars a year, and in Germany, you you raise a few hundred million in aggregate, right? Uh, so, country. so that's sad, and uh, we want to help that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know the numbers in in France, but it's it's similar. It's probably similar order yeah. of magnitude. I actually think that. I mean, we come off of a great event yesterday night where we opened this first phase of our hotel incubator mm. here, uh, BioLabs. Uh, I think there's a lot of good energy in France and I give the national government a lot of credit for changing mm. the spirit and the mood. Yeah. Um, and they, we work very well with the different levels of government. I'm still learning about them. It's city, prefecture, region, and the national government. But they're all... Very interested in this theme of innovation and enabling entrepreneurship and enabling a young generation of people. So that's good and that's very hopeful, I think. And France is on a good trajectory and uh, they're performing much better than their reputation. Certainly in in the US, France has a reputation as being socialist and terrible to employ people, strikes, right? but they're really having really good policies, yeah. relatively rapid decision-making, and we're quite happy with the way that mm-hmm. Internet goes here. So we are, I think, the first program of this kind in Paris mm-hmm. now. And as you know, we have uh, three locations around Paris. We have this a site at Hotel Dieu, which is just currently office, and some conference rooms and meeting spaces. I don't know if you will do a tour with your guests uh, with your video. No, I I took some shots. Okay, okay. Okay. Um, And then we have a a lab space, which is in a different hospital of the APHP uh, group in the 14th district at Hôpital Broussé. That's small, but we hope to grow it quickly. It's about two-thirds full right now. Um eventually we will be building a a 10,000 square meters incubator in the western wing of Hotel yeah. And that will be very big and massive but we need to let's show you a lot of light a few years on. Okay. Um and we have an um uh, bio labs at Saclay with the uh, the French pharmaceutical company Servier. It's on the Plateau de Saclay and that's brand new.
1: It's this Paris is this huge campus build. Yes, yeah, so yeah, around southwest. the university where they group all the universities, a lot of big corporate research centers, and make this like massive
0: yeah. greenfield development in a way. It used to be an agricultural area, yeah. um, and it will be a very big hub. I, there are uh-huh. many really uh, brand name universities there and pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. and once they have the public transport going. It will be good. Right now, there's yes. only a shuttle. Right in a few years, Um it will the the tramway was promised to be completed in 2022 and then 2024, and I think now it's still a few years. But the metro is already being built. It's it's like like a I've seen it too. It will be. It, it will, will be good. Down. And and so, if uh, some of your listeners are in the Île-de-France region, they should check out our. Uh, BioLabs at Sakli. No. and it's a, it's a beautiful building. It, ex- is it, it is accepting new applications from yeah. startups. And you have the opportunity to be very closely interfacing with the scientists of Servli if you're interested. So if they want to have a research collaboration, if they maybe want to explore a program of of joint um, venture or funding with Servli, that's a good opportunity yeah. for them.
1: We, we, we touched base on, on quite a lot of things. It's, it's interesting. Maybe in the, some of the questions I had were kind of already answered or we mm-hmm. can, we can take it further. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I had, but you touch on it's on, on the, diffi- or like, let's say on the specificity slash the difficulty to open in Europe, which was different. Yeah. And I remember we talked for many years and you we were working on opening something in Europe and, mm-hmm. and you even told me, okay, it's, it's. What did you tell? Something like I have a lot of respect for people doing business in Europe. Oh yeah. <laughs> Can you expand a bit there? I mean, I, I like that you have this view of like being being German, doing business on both sides of the Atlantic with basically a similar product in a similar environment. So, so what? Basically,
0: why? Like, why was it more difficult? Why, yeah. So I, I mean, as background, right? I'm a medical doctor. I'm not a trained business person. I'm a, I'm a learned business person through, the, as I say, the school of hard knocks. Mm. Um, and I, I developed all of what I know about biotech and, and venture capital by practicing it mm. in the United States. Yeah. So even though I'm German and I studied in France for a while, I'm not as familiar with the system here. Uh-huh. And so then for me, it was quite a shock To arrive in Europe again and to try and do what I learned to do over there with a model that works and then to be facing obstacles that are not business obstacles but bureaucratic obstacles and what I perceive to be unnecessary friction, right? The exact same thing that we're trying to reduce for our entrepreneurs is what I experience here. Bureaucracy permits delays, wait times and mediocre um, administration proceedings that help nobody i understand that you need to have some regulation i is we're building labs after all i understand you need to have safety rules etc i respect all of that but if you have people enabled to put roadblocks in the path of an entrepreneur who wants to build something that add no value for anybody it doesn't add safety it doesn't even really add revenue for this for the government. It's not I'm not even complaining about the taxes. Yeah. I'm complaining about the process. Yes. Right? Uh, that is really bad. And Europe needs to get a handle on that. I'm hmm. uh, this is specifically true in my home country and yours, Germany. Um here in France, it's also there they are also Administrative obstacles, and we we talked about some of them at the event yesterday. Even yeah. politicians are there to help us overcome them now. What's interesting is that often you do have buy-in from like the strategic decision makers, yeah. but then it gets ground to a to a halt in the bellies of the administration layer mm-hmm. that is in between. Mm-hmm. And so that's something. I'm I'm a European. I want this place to thrive. Mm-hmm. I want this. I want our our societies to develop better and and to have economic dynamism and I think we need to get a handle on this as Europeans as as Germans as French yeah. um not not everything is great in America right yeah, like yeah. we know that um but certainly for entrepreneurship America has a good formula yeah. which is to a priori not Think it's a bad thing if people want to try something new, yeah, okay. right? And so to to let them go do it first, right? Until they screw up in a way, right? Yeah. Um, it's just faster. People get employed fast. Of course, they can get let go, yeah. but that eventually creates this economic dynamism something. that that uh, is is very helpful. Yeah, yeah. I I do have big hopes. I think um, I'm I'm optimistic with the things I see in France now. Mm. And I'm optimistic when I speak with these young entrepreneurs that you met in the cafe now, right? They all are very well trained. They have a strong basis. The people that I interface with are all scientists or engineers, right? So Mm. there's very good science going on, very good training. And now for the last five or 10 years, they want to also do something with it. They want to become entrepreneurs and build their own ideas out. And that is... I think a new development from several years ago where they all wanted to work for the Peugeot of the Government or for the big companies, right? So it's now cool in France mm-hmm. to want to pursue a startup idea, mm-hmm. right? That's a really hopeful side. Yeah.
1: As you put it really well, I think it's it's one thing that at least I French government has played a big part, big role, but I think also more the of the whole startup success stories right. and you it's yeah i give credit to government, but there's probably also a big
0: like there's a societal, societal shift societal shift and uh 100 uh, uh, i think yeah I, uh, who did the government create it? probably not probably the societal shift was yeah. there and the government was able to Operation. somehow catalyze it or or accelerate it yeah. and another uh, i wish that in germany we had a sort of a dedicated effort to help startups more mm. right um it it doesn't seem to be as deliberate. There are individual initiatives for sure. Um I'm still missing in Germany the initiatives that are focusing on biotechnology startups. And the fact that Germany had the success of Biontech should rather motivate them to do more than to say, "Oh, look, we have Biontech, isn't that great?" Right? Like Biontech Germany had Biontech because of sheer luck, I want to say, right? Um the, the science on the basis in the universities in the research hospitals is phenomenally good right and we are in Germany punching way below our weight in terms of translating that into products and companies and jobs and economic wealth yeah. right I mean and I would say you in that
1: yeah I mean it, basically if you take Germany this is pretty much the same across Europe and in UK usually has some trends a bit different. They're pretty good interest They're a bit more business friendly what they hear, and for, for opening things. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, well, I mean, it, it's a very complex problem, but it's great that you guys managed to open the space in Heidelberg and two space here, or, I mean, two, two and a half spaces and that you're actually helping really bring that dynamism and helping entrepreneurs. I mean, at least having a tools and having more facility to start i mean i think yeah it's
0: it's already i mean when are you are. airing this hmm? when, when are you going to air this uh, next next week so okay then we cannot yet make the new announcement we have a new announcement <laughs> stay tuned for <laughs> germany uh but next week we can't okay now <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, that's great and just
1: so and also i was i touch i mean you I think you mentioned the the people as in a a special component of Biolabs as really the team and the people at Biolabs and I think that's a big factor and maybe we can talk a bit about people in general, people inside companies, people inside startups and and actually also in have even in the US team, you have a lot of Europeans in the team as well. Um, well, I don't don't know if that's a success factor or not, but that's at least a fact. but i think one thing that makes Biolabs also really special is is coming from I mean, not just you but even on the on the top on the top team is yeah you can really feel this like authenticity and you came from the problem and 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 there's this relevance and you're running it and 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 and, and can you but can you touch a bit on this on i mean on on BioLabs, but on in general in people a bit more in general
0: you know? yeah so i think um people are the the beginning and the end of a, of a startup right and you can if you had you even have you even if you have a genial piece of science and technology and you don't have a good team to develop it it will go nowhere right mm-hmm. um, but if you have a, a strong team even if they have a bad piece of technology they will make a success of it because they will recognize it and they will improve it or pivot or bring in another solution mm-hmm. right so I am a strong believer of primacy of team over technology. So people, people, people. People, people, people. And and that's the same is true. So we can talk a little bit about Biolabs, but the same is true on, on our venture side. As you yeah. know, I'm, I'm also a founder and a partner in a venture capital fund called yeah. Mission Bio Capital, And there the same thing is true. We, because we're early stage investors, we value the team and the coherence of the team and the professionalism of the team and the character of the team more than we do the, the technology that they have. Of course that needs to be interesting, et cetera. but if, if there's any doubt about the reliability of the team or the capability or the de, or the dedication, it's not going to be funded but. Funded. So let's talk about biolabs and lab centrals. Uh, just, just for that
1: if you if you have to rate it, if you need to put the percentage of the on the team versus. you put like whatever like 75 25 something like this something like that yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so really significantly significant more.
0: because because as as VCs so we are VCs that all that that invest and sometimes we 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 want to be very active investors but we don't to be there there are other firms like Third Rock and Flagship that basically build all their companies in house okay. right? we don't do that we want to bet on the team. We think the team is is are the best expert in their field, mm. and they also have the one hundred and ten percent commitment to their idea, right? Mm-hmm. So who's better to develop it than than them? Yeah. And so that's our thesis. Yeah. But that means we need to to be convinced by the team first and foremost, and then of course we need to believe in the solution, etc. cetera. Right. market. Okay. And
1: I guess you apply that also to biolabs, as in when you select for tenants.
0: Yeah. So in, in Biolabs it's 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 like a hospitality uh, business in a way right mm. it's a little bit you, we need people who can work with a customer right mm. a lot of what we do is problem solving for the entrepreneurs mm. and uh, so i'm i'm very proud of the teams i have been able to build and retain. Uh, and retain at Lab Central and at at Biolabs as well because it, it requires a certain skill set. And sometimes it's a little bit quirky people, right? It's not sort of the straight line people. It's, it's sometimes people who have done some you know, some retail and they've tried to be an entrepreneur and, and failed in that, but they learned a lot of things, right? And so now they can connect much better with the other entrepreneurs that we have because they've got that background or they've been in entertainment or they maybe they've been a bench scientist before. So we try to build very diverse teams. And... As you said, yeah, I tend to see value in having a diverse experience. Having worked in different countries is certainly a plus. Um, having worked, having immersed yourself in different cultures is certainly a plus if you apply with with me for a job, right? Because I've done that and I think it's hugely valuable mm-hmm. to have lived in a bunch of different countries and worked in different cultures because it gives you a little bit of humility. It gives mm-hmm. you a little bit of perspective what what you grew up with is not what everybody grows up with and it's not the right thing or the wrong thing it's just different right and so after living in in multiple countries you get to see that okay there are certain things that are constant between people and that are not directly culturally dependent Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are other assumptions where you think oh but that's not what i used to that's not what i grew up with well that doesn't matter that doesn't mean it's good or it's bad yeah, right? Yeah, right and so i i like to encourage that in our people why because our user base is also very diverse so if you if you look at the companies that we work with in boston uh, they are seventy-two percent founded by immigrants to America, okay. or, or co-founded, right? Like the founding team or co-founding team in, in seventy-two point nine percent. When we we did a study on this, yeah. there was this big, you know, during the dark years in in the last <laughs> Trump years, yeah. uh, we had there was a lot of pushback against immigration in America, okay. and so we did this study to demonstrate how immigration actually contributes to, yeah, to the economy. Pretty. And so we had 73% of companies uh, had an immigrant founder or co-founder. And so it's important for my team to be able to work with that group of people. Yeah. Right? So I, if I hire Americans, I want Americans with a passport who have at least traveled abroad once or twice. Right. And, and abroad is not Florida, You <laughs> should go from Boston. Uh, so that's a, an important yeah. mindset. It's so interesting that you apply it uh, in both directions.
1: And, I, and I'm laughing a bit about this, like, I mean, at least makes me know about the people and, and what's constant or not. I mean, mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm more exposed to the Chinese culture through my wife mm-hmm. and it's another like level of constant, but still, I mean, very different, but you still, uh, you can observe really, some stuff are really constant yeah. in human culture slash human psychology behavior. Yeah. And it's actually funny when you see something that looks so so different mm-hmm. and you don't understand any the best of it but when you see that some core things are still very constant it's actually yeah interesting to see well, yeah and this makes me bounce on like how, oh, basically what about Asia for wirelesss is it?
0: Yeah I am in a few years or? I'm very interested in in applying our model well, in East Asia I guess in, in general. so I you know I have a Japanese wife. Yeah. And so I live between these cultures too okay. and and I, I I've, we've traveled to Japan many times okay. and so I I think Japan will benefit from our model greatly mm. uh, we now have a very small biolabs outside of Tokyo in Kawasaki. It's a okay. suburb of Tokyo. Okay. Yeah, for um, about 12 months it's been open. Okay. Um, it's a collaboration with a local academic institute called ICON-M. It's an institute for nanomedicine. Yeah. And they have a beautiful building, uh, which is just, if you ever fly to Tokyo, you may okay. fly and into next a Haneda Airport. So go by and take okay. a look, meet with our team. And, um, It's just like you can see the airport from the building and vice versa. It's like literally across the river. And um, we have a small number of companies there. Japan is a a great study case for what biolabs can do Mm -hmm. because you have undoubtedly world-class science, right? And uh, excellent basic research and result. I mean, they invented the IPSC technology that is now revolutionizing medicine, right? Mm. And yet you're doing that in a culture that is as traditionalist and as hierarchical as they get, yeah. right? And yeah. and where risk ta- ri- you cannot take risk because if you fail, you're done. <laughs> right. You will not recover. Um, so it is, I think, even... Harder by orders of magnitude compared with germany or france uh, for a young scientist or uh, to to become an entrepreneur Uh, there is a small and resilient community of entrepreneurs against all odds in japan i love these people right um and we we gather with them and they have their own internal gatherings we are invited to meet them every now and then it's like a Certainly less than 100 people build that community, but it's growing fast, and there's support, there's strong support now from the government, the uh, Kishida government. Uh, They have understood this to be a problem, and Mm -hmm. they have a good initiative, at least they have a good political desire to make progress they have made available a program that's equivalent of eight billion US dollars to, um, to support venture f- uh, venture capital formation to support startup infrastructure building and training programs. and I think those are all the right I guess it's now the question is how is it translated into programs and reality and what's the time frame I think in Japan, You will need a societal and cultural shift to allow for young people to take more risk and then develop a a risk tolerance that also says, and and a tolerance of failure, where if you go out and you build your first startup, and of course it's going to not be a green success, right? Like, and or 90% chance of failure. Exactly. And and it's okay. Why? Because it's sort of an experiment. A startup for me is like an experiment in, in business. Like we do experiments in the lab all the time. If they fail, it's fine. We learn something. Yeah. But in startups, it's sort of an experiment in business. And you learn something. And hopefully, you're successful the first time. Good for Mark Zuckerberg, right? But... In many cases, 0.001%. Exactly. So people shouldn't expect that, right? Mm-hmm. People should expect that, okay, you go try something and in the path of trying, you're going to learn a lot of things. I like to invest in entrepreneurs who have failed once or twice because they've learned their lesson, right? Uh, but in, in Japan, that will be a, one of the biggest challenges for them to overcome, but they know it. Uh, to, to accept and... And even see as a learning, the case of a failed uh, company, so that they can build uh, on that experience.
1: And do you? Yeah, it's interesting. Looping or connecting it to what's universal or what's shared. Do you think that the you think that the higher tolerance to risk is a good thing across the board? I think so. Or is it your bias from a?
0: VC slash uh, yeah. biotech. And of course, everybody. Each of us is biased. because you have downsides. You know, I I I was not a big fan of America before I came there. We went there not because of my choice. We went there because my wife had her postdoc, and I wasn't gonna be okay. away from her for many years, right? So I followed her, okay. and I wasn't a big US fan. In <laughs> fact, I was one of these typical intellectual Europeans that hated on the US before. I now really. Respect the model, and I really like the model that the United States has built. Yeah. It's a very young country; it's not an old country like this, uh, it's or
1: almost younger than the
0: building. <laughs> Correct, yeah. right? Um, and so there are still things that America has to and will improve, yeah. um, but certainly. I'm wondering if it's if it's like
1: if you can share it because I mean I think one thing that is. Uh, is... What struck me as just pretty difficult, I mean, obviously me also as entrepreneur going to Boston, I mean, I loved it and, and I learned a lot from that. And I incorporated some part of this like mm-hmm. increased risk and, and, and different culture. But also one thing that is very tricky uh, with, with the US culture with Boston is that you have to also understand the bigger contexts and and usually it it, it connects in different levels and it works because of of the west versus if you take just risk of Vader and you translate it maybe it's it's different but that's yeah that's a bit where my question is coming like is it is it more like a fundamental thing that can work in, universally or is it depending on other
0: societal right. so so it's very interesting to think about where's where does this risk tolerance come from right <laughs> i think america is built by immigrants right because the native population has been wiped out in a way, right? So all of what America is, is is built by people who came, most came from Europe, right? And they didn't have much to lose in Europe. That's why they left. The aristocrats didn't leave, right? The big industrials in the 1970s, 100s, they didn't leave. They had it good in Weimar and in Paris and in Lyon, right? They didn't leave. It's the people who had nothing to lose who left. And so those people, after they arrive, they had to build things with their hands. They had to build their, they stake their land, build their cabin, and hopefully they made it. Sometimes they failed. Sometimes they were successful. But that um, I think that selected for a spirit of okay, we have to try anyway. We have nothing to lose. We have to go forward. We cannot look back. We cannot rest. And. It, it may be sort of glorifying the history of this but I think that is still how the economic dynamism as I call it mm. is is preserved there of course in also in America there's now layers of bureaucracy layered on top of this and um rules and regulations etc but British. I think the overall uh, approach is a little bit different from um where you where this is coming from and I I think, uh, that's why we see many immigrants in America still uh, there's proportionally way more businesses founded by recent immigrants from India, from Asia, from uh, China, from other places, Pakistan. They found businesses. And why? Because maybe they don't have a job that is the right fit for them and they don't have much to lose if they, if they start a company mm-hmm. um, or if they start a little business of their own, right? And then some of them are successful and grow that. Um, how is that that is i think very specific in the us Mm. so you cannot translate these things one to one what i like to try to do when when we open new sites is to see sort of what are the key learnings that biolabs can bring to this community and then look at what is the given ground in that in that place what is what is the culture what's the habit what are the Types of interaction that people have, and and see are there learnings that are specific to our industry that because we have so much volume in the US, because we have so much uh, data now of what works and what doesn't work, uh, that we can bring to Europe, for example, here, hmm. right, and just accelerate that so that we don't need ten years of trial and error, yeah. but that we can say, okay, these are the five things or seven, six, seven things that you have to do. Um, because they are known to work, yeah. right? But of course, you have to build it in the greater context of of what's here. So, still going to back to my question, you—I mean,
1: from at least from your learning—the higher risk tolerance is known mm-hmm. to work, at least in in your case in biotech startups. You think it's it's something that helps entrepreneurs and in general and yeah. can be can helpful anywhere. I mean, I'm challenging you. I'm playing the inventor. Inventor, you have to,
0: you have to have a risk tolerance. Uh, you, uh, so of course, we build companies that have no revenue. They, it's not like you have a product that's already there and you have to sell it in a different city and you can predict how much you have to pay the salesperson to go to the different city and then sell more volume. Yeah. No, you have a thing that may work or it may not work. It, and it's quite likely that it doesn't work because otherwise someone would have invented that before. So you are trying to push the boundaries of what's possible. But you have to believe that if it does work, it'll be such a big uh, paradigm shift or such a big market that it's worth taking the risk at the front end. And so all of what you do in venture or, or in startups of our type hmm. um, has to be built on a big tolerance of the likelihood of failure.
1: Yeah. And I think I mean for the listeners who are not just enthusiasts or not like specific in biotech, I mean what you just said also is I mean, to appreciate how much risk there's. I mean, you talk always about software startups versus deep tech, but biotech in the category of deep tech is probably one of the like highest risks possible. I mean, you cannot bootstrap really a biotech company and
0: very hard very hard
1: especially on the, on the therapeutic side but yeah no that's that's great um on the switching a bit topic on the on the money slash profitability you, you touch base a bit on it that real estate is a big business especially i mean probably is anywhere in the world but like i guess this. in the us there is also this like oh biotech need a lot of lab space and we can make make money there mm-hmm. uh, and i think you, you told me something like that real estate is boring or not the most exciting but it's very profitable uh, i mean i will not quote it it was not the exact words but somewhere in there but i think what i mean you make it also really exciting at least uh, as, as a space because it can be very dry it's like mm-hmm. I rent square meters and i charge you the highest amount I can charge you yeah. versus here, yeah, it's really, really different. So can you touch base a bit there on like just, yeah, what's, how you see it, how, yeah, how how you look back on it after 10 years? Yeah, that's.
0: Yeah, so we, I I said that and I still believe it, that real estate is a really good way to make a lot of money yeah. if, if money is your sort of driver. Yeah enlightened real estate can also change people's lives. You can mm. build new areas of a city, you can redevelop uh, buildings and that's that's contributing a lot of value to uh, to society.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, real estate, if you look at um, the large fortunes in America that are made today, a lot of it is done. Of course, there's the people that make a lot of money with tech, like yeah. you have Musk and, and Twitter yeah, and these tech. guys. But a lot of large fortunes are made in real estate and that's because you have the multiplier effect. If you have a big building you know the the multiplier effect is very strong and, and in most, certainly in America but it's also true in Europe that there are a lot of incentives from government that give you tax abatements etc to build real estate because you're building infrastructure. Yeah. Now um, I also say that it's a fairly simple business. And it's less tricky than science. Yeah. Of course, there are layers of of sophistication and specialization. I don't want to discount that, but it's it's a relatively small number of basic elements that drive real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, I I find it fascinating the the power uh, to to leverage capital and to build big projects is is a fascinating thing. I'm getting into and i'm Mm -hmm. learning about i don't want to though become just a real estate person i think the innovation part is much more fun and it's more fascinating It's it's where where i'm home and where i come from Mm -hmm. and so for us we are bridging these two worlds of innovation and real estate and we're building real estate to enable innovation right um, we have to get the balance right, it needs to pay for itself at least, yeah. it can't lose money. Um, but this way we, we are hoping to maximize our impact yeah. ourselves. It's interesting.
1: And the, yeah, that's But you, because I mean Biolabs has been profitable.
0: You have to Basically build
1: it. From and, the beginning, I mean you have never raised money. I we have not raised still, money. You still haven't closed the round at all.
0: We have not, not raised you're looking in, into any it, external it. capital, correct. Yeah. We, it, it's very liberating to be a profitable company. Mm. So it's interesting because on the one hand, I'm a venture capitalist and I want to invest in your company uh, or in an entrepreneur's company and buy the equity. Yeah. But if I have a choice, I will not take other people's money if I don't have to, yeah. right? And if you're able, so a, a piece of public service announcement for any any um, entrepreneur who's listening, if you don't have to take money, don't take money, yeah. right? Right. If I think the least, least amount yeah, possible to get <laughs> like you there. The, yeah. If you're able to build a profitable company on your own, that's a good way to do it mm-hmm. because then you have the decision-making. Then you can pursue what you want to do mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of make sure that you have profits because if, as long as you have profits, you can rule your business and you can rule your life. As soon as you lose money, things look very different. And as soon as you're out of money, you have to shut the door. Um, so it's a, it's a careful balance, mm. right? And it's not it's not a bad thing to take other partners into your business uh, to provide capital, as long as they as long as you have a good arrangement with these providers of capital about like who does what, yeah. uh, who has what level of control, what are you going to use the capital for? Are you using it? To grow your revenues? Are you using it to conduct a piece of research and development, which will lead you to an, an increase in valuation and mm-hmm. a milestone? Are you looking to bring in capital that's smart capital? That's another big piece of mm-hmm. like money is not the same from like the same dollar is not worth the same. Mm-hmm. If you have a, an investor that brings in talent or connections or they can uh, or other non-monetary value that can be uh, very important and, and mm-hmm. instrumental for your company. Yeah, I can.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah. No, I like that. Um, I like that. I mean, I'm with flat Bio now really trying to bootstrapping it and, and yeah. making it profitable versus Labazik where we raised money and we mm-hmm. took us a long time to be profitable. I mean, yeah. even though it was on a small scale, not hundreds of millions, but the dynamics is, is the it me- mechanics. The mechanics. Yeah. yeah. Is I have to
0: say, yeah. It's um, sometimes it's sometimes it's the same struggles. it, uh, it may be easier to raise more money. Yeah. Um and then so it's it's the same th- I mean the overall the same mechanics work, right? As soon as you have external investors in your company, they'll want to say in where you take your company. Mm-hmm. That's only fair, right? And, and it's like your marriage, yeah. Absolutely for a long term it absolutely. It the so it, it is important also um for you, the entrepreneur, to look very closely at who are the potential investors in my mm-hmm. company. Hopefully you have a choice. Yeah. Unfortunately, in many cases, our entrepreneurs have no choice. Yeah. They have to take the money from the first and only one that offers them. But if you do have a choice, use it and, and be very careful about like, who do you allow to be on your board of directors? Who do you allow to have a blocking vote on? Yeah on your shareholder uh, agreements. Like, look into the Don't just say, oh, I need the five million. I'll take it from anybody. Um, be very careful because it is like a marriage. It's a relationship. Every day you'll be having to run decisions by these people mm-hmm. and hopefully they will be supportive of your of your decisions. Hopefully they'll add value. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're driven by other interests. Oh, it's misaligned. Yeah. You have, sometimes the the... Time horizon for their investment doesn't align with your mm-hmm. interests, right? And and then you're in trouble. They they make you sell the company even though you you want to build it further. I, li- I like what you say, and yeah. I can I can mm-hmm. double on this. I mean, my experience was
1: with, with I mean, but it was definitely a big focus on people on mm-hmm. who, who we let in. But I like your point a lot on like what are your options at the moment? And mm-hmm. even for us at we did have that many options, but we did say no to a few investors mm-hmm. uh, where were there, where we just didn't feel like it. And, mm-hmm. and in hindsight, it was the right decision. Good. And especially, I think it's especially tricky with, at the beginnings. I mean, you see it probably in your adventures. In your I mean, at the beginning, everything works. The first one, two years, you know. Honeymoon period.
0: Yeah. It's not even two years. <laughs> it's like <laughs> two months.
1: It's in, in Boston, <laughs> everything is faster. But once you get to like challenging parts of life, a bridge, down valuation mm. or then a forced exit or even uh, just to exit. I mean, for me, one big reason was once you have money on the table, people act very differently. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same people, but once, yeah, it's, it's, and that's where uh, having selected the right people, and it's not right for everyone, it's, it's also really a fit.
0: Yeah, makes a big difference. And, yeah, and, like, and relationships, again, relationships matter. Mm. That's where having been through this once or twice, Ex- relationships and experience do matter, yeah. right? Sound like an old person now, but it's 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 helpful to have been through this once or twice because yeah. now you're looking at the potential investor very differently because you you know what's going to happen during the time of the building of the business. You you know what can happen during the exit of the business, and some of these uh, events can be pretty nasty, right? And at the same time, it's hugely valuable to invest in relationships, to build uh, trusted partners like that. And if you find that group, you could invest with them or you could have them invest in your ideas in a serial fashion and they come back for the next idea, whether you make the money or not. Um, it's also as part of your if – you're, if you're an entrepreneur and there's an investor that comes to look at your business, you should also do diligence on them, okay. Right. And you should try to find the other entrepreneurs that this guy invested in previously. Call them, find out what they have to say, especially with the ones that didn't, didn't work. Yes. They didn't work very well, right? Like, what happened? Mm. Did they change management? Did they fire the founder? How did they deal with adversity? How did mm. they deal with uh, with trouble? And did they add value beyond the dollars? Mm. It's very important. And it's, I, I see the mistake often by young teams, uh, first-time teams, that they grab the first money that's on the table. And that's not always smart. I guess, uh,
1: the, yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a good point. Uh, but I think it comes a bit with experience, but at the same time, you have also trade-off on the experience where you were like, look for the perfect person and already know, but that's sometimes you also need to, mm. but, uh, it's the hard parts of not too much and not too few. Yeah. Um, Maybe on the no that's 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 great. On the I, I, one one thing I, I want to talk about, is about about synergies and one thing I like a lot with was, was oh and you touched a bit on it, but with Labs and that you are here really to help entrepreneurs and you're helping them with with, with space, but you're also helping them with capital. Um which are, but also for you as an individual brings you your your interest of helping on the real estate side but also in investing in, in entrepreneurs, but also from a business point of view, it also allows you to, let's say, monetize or, in monetize is probably not the right word, but you have you are exposed to opportunities through the through the labs, mm-hmm. through the space, and this gives you uh, access to to people and opportunities. And if you can deploy capital there, you can also make big return or bigger return. Yeah. So can you? I mean, that's and that it that, there. That, that's that's already. Great. Right. Can you talk a bit more there on like, I don't know, on the synergies, on, on how you make it work? Um, how did you get started? Was it obvious or not? I mean, like,
0: there, yeah. I, I'm happy to, to talk about it. There's not a master plan, yeah. it's really um, observation. We started, so on the investment side, and you have $500 million in the management in there. Across five just funds. Five, five months. Months. just to give context as well. Yeah. yeah, so we have a venture capital firm that's called Mission Biocapital. Yeah. We are currently investing from Fund 5. Yeah. It is a $275 million vehicle that's mostly investing in the United States, mostly investing in companies and entrepreneurs that we connect with and meet through our lab network. Yeah. But it has made a few investments now in Europe. Uh, and we're mm-hmm. growing our network in Europe as well um, the investment so the f- the firm is founded by one of my mentors and, and myself and a few other people yeah. uh, Peter Parker he was my first investor in our first company sequence. we mentioned it earlier yeah. and so since then we've been but, amazing person we've been working <laughs> together you've met him yeah, right yeah. Um, he's a very experienced venture capitalist he had like 25-30 years of experience in venture before yeah. we met and he you know when we built biolabs and then when we built lab central we saw we saw many companies and so he had that skill set of a VC yeah. with a very credible track record before and so we went out and, and used that and raised our first fund together yeah. um, and so we found that the platform that we have is very unique from other VCS there's n- really no other VC firm that has this type of platform. And often uh, VCs, they invest because they get a deck or they get an introduction and then they meet the entrepreneur and they look at a presentation. But we do that differently. Uh, We meet entrepreneurs typically when they apply for space to come into one of our labs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so during the admissions process, every company has to pitch a selection committee, if it's in New York, if it's in Paris, if it's in Heidelberg or Durham. And our my, myself, my partners, or some of our fund people will always sit on that selection committee yeah. alongside with a local team. And so we get a first view and impression of the team and the founders and their ideas and their ambitions. We ask them for key things like, what's the idea? <laughs> what's the science? what are you, How are you going to make a business out of this piece of science? Who's on the team? What have the done before and, and how will they execute this business plan and have they raised any money from a third party or is this just an idea stage thing yeah. um, that gives us a very good first initial overview that allows us to assess the company for a, if they are a good fit for the labs yeah. also will they be good stewards of our com- or citizens of our community and and then the, th- the bar is not that high to get into the labs yeah. depending on the fill rate, really. In, in some cases, we have very lower uh, admission rate. Like in Boston, we typically had one out of four, one out of five only sure. accepted. And then in other places, admittedly, when the space is empty, we will be a little bit more lenient to fill the space up. Um, but that's how we meet companies and entrepreneurs first. and And then if they need money, if they're raising, now we already know them and we can have a discussion about it. We have no rights to invest. We get no preferred terms to invest. Um, They don't ever have to talk to us on the venture side. Uh, We have a lot of uh, companies and entrepreneurs that come with pre-formed venture syndicates from other places. Um, And that's totally fine. They can come into the labs. Uh, But we will have a relationship with them that way. And so even though we are a relatively young firm, we've been able to build a strong network now of relationships and also syndicate colleagues. We've, we've co-invested with the very best venture funds and yeah. venture funds that are 20, 30, 50 years old. And we've quickly been able to make a, a good reputation also on the venture capital side. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about finding opportunities in Europe now. Yeah. Uh, I think they will need a slightly different profile for us to invest in. Yeah. Um, I think the Science is really equally as good as what we find in Boston or yeah. Philadelphia. Uh, what is lacking in, in Europe, and that's true both in Germany and in France, those are the only two countries that we currently have, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that the the growth capital is lacking and that the management to take companies to the next step is lacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, uh, I think we can actually help with that. We can bring connections with experienced managers. Yeah. Some of them are experts from Europe who want to come back and who sort of built a career in the United States who can come back and apply this and they'll be happy to move to Paris or to Munich or to, to Berlin. To work here. For them. <laughs> and, and, and we can help with capital connections because we have our strong mm. network. We can help take companies public in the United States if they want to. Mm. Um, so that is a good opportunity that mm. we will build more of that strategy go.
1: I really, I like that on the on the synergies part you you are looking at the or potential upsides but you're not like you, you don't bring any constraint as in like no strings attached or anything like that. so for the it's to really, come into the
0: labs though
1: yeah I mean yeah. like but, but you could I mean that's where the, I mean some synergies also where you can rapidly have downsides I mean if you if BioLabs was very tight to, to mission by capital or was like, then maybe other VCs would look at it as well, whatever, uh, more competition or startups would not apply because then they could not get money from oh, other VCs. So we that, know, what, that. that. you get it very like neutral and it's only if they want to. Uh, that's actually...
0: Yeah, it, it's another way, like they don't, I mean, beyond the selection committee, they wouldn't ever have to talk to me, right? Mm-hmm. We just need to offer support. Like if they want an introduction with the head of or with the the chief scientist of Pfizer, I can introduce them because I know the guy was here on my paddle yesterday, right? right? And if they want an introduction with Novartis Venture Capital Fund, we can introduce them. If they want to talk to us about, uh, is this term sheet reasonable that they're getting from another venture fund? I'm going to be happy to give them advice, unbiased advice, or if they need another syndicate member, we'll look at it. The most unbiased possible. Yeah, and, and we, you know, for the most part, also we don't. I mean, we have on the platform today about four hundred startups that use our lab today, today, right? And we've only, out of the last fund, we've only invested in twenty of them. So it's a very very small subset. So most of the time, it won't be a good fit. It's maybe too much money or too little money. It's a technology okay. we don't like, whatever. But so we are there as a resource. Yeah. Um, and and I want to emphasize this again many venture capital funds have their companies in our network. I, I met the founder, or I, I knew him before, but I saw him yesterday of AdBio, um, French fund. They have like seven companies already in Biolabs. Yeah, uh, will tell you, seven companies out of like 15 or 16 companies. So they they love this program and, and Nova has a few. And so we don't even, we have one company here that we have equity invested in. Um, so of course we are, looking to bring on the, the best companies from anybody yeah. and eventually we'll make an investment or two. Mm. But that's not a condition. And and so that's another, mo- I think some, you mentioned earlier, competitors to BioLabs. Mm. Some venture funds are embarking on this model where they build their own incubators, mm. but then that's sort of the incubator to the f- companies that are in that VC fund, mm. right? And we want to be the Switzerland <laughs> The open uh, shop, right? Like, you come to us because you need space. You, you come to us because you want to meet a cool community. Um, that's also true on the pharma side. I, oh, yeah. I don't know if you mentioned that, but but we have a lot of pharmaceutical partners. Yes. That yeah,
1: Pfizer w- got, was like, uh, just
0: announced Pfizer it. is our farming sponsor. They joined recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we had their uh, French CEO here yeah. and yesterday and, and Uwe Schönberg, their CSO and we're super grateful for Pfizer's support right mm-hmm. like uh, their their CEO Albert Bola, is the uh, overall CEO he made a big commitment to R&D in France yeah. Pfizer and i i think this is already a demonstration of that commitment to France is mm-hmm. is that they're helping uh, to grow Biolabs in Paris we also have as founding uh, sponsors Ibsen yeah. French company and Sanofi mm-hmm. um these are two companies that we had worked with uh, very well already in in the US.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh then we also have Novo and Amgen and many so, other so
1: each time with these pharma partners it's there's no strings we really attached for the residents. It's only benefit attached to the they, residents. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, and they get what I mean what's in for them?
0: They get exposure. Yeah. So what's in it for them? Let let's let's Try to untie that. Yeah. Um, so one, the the sponsors are sponsors because they pay money to BioLamps, Yeah. And that allows us to pay the rent and to pay this and to not charge the, the startups a huge price, right? The startups are paying a price that is subsidized by the r- revenue that we are able to create from the uh, sponsorship. Yeah. So it's a good deal. So right? either the state or the farm- Yeah, so so it's being in a way it's being subsidized, right? Like if you if you get and that's why we can be selective, right? Because what you get here is is more value than you have to pay for, because other people are also paying for this, Uh right? So and and so that's a big part of the value that the pharma companies provide to the startups indirectly. Uh Uh, Then there's also very direct benefit because they have office hours uh, where they can come in and they can meet uh, the head of development or the head of business development or other people who are scouts for technology and and make their programs visible to the big pharmaceutical companies yes. there is a strong symbiotic relationship between the startup world and the big pharma nowadays yeah, the, yeah. most of the drugs that big pharma brings to market today are developed through collaboration partnership or acquisition of smaller companies and they're not really internally developed uh, or not internally Invented, maybe then later developed if they Mm. uh, take them over at phase one or phase two. Um, So the pharma companies have a big interest in connecting with this innovative community Uh. of people because they they need to feed the beast in a way, right? Mm. They have stuff that's coming off patent and they need to fill the pipeline all the time. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship that we are in the middle of and we can Mm. help broker. Um, Pharma... Companies, all of our pharma sponsors also have the ability to sponsor what we call golden tickets. Yeah. So that's a, a a sort of a ticket, an entry ticket to biolabs. That Pfizer can give out a golden ticket, and then they can give that to Philip, uh, his your startup, and you can come into biolabs. You don't have to pay us, right? Yeah. Because Pfizer will already have prepaid the year of residency for you. Yeah. That's the golden ticket, and in that case, the. Pfizer or Novo Nordisk or Amgen, they can run their own competition. They'll do it outside and they will select the company that they like most or that has the best fit with their strategy. And then that company can come into Biolabs for a full year of free lab space. Which is
1: equivalent to...
0: 50,000, this is... And and so for... for the startup, th- th- this golden ticket process is very beneficial because one, they get to pitch, two, they get to put the name of the sponsor on their website. You know, these are typically very early stage company yeah. and they, they would go to the business plan competitions. They would go to Hello Tomorrow, they would go to Math yeah. Challenge and to Y Combinator. And, and for them, they are still collecting labels in a way and mm-hmm. endorsements. This is a big endorsement. If you're getting a big pharma uh, to give you a golden mm-hmm. ticket. They only have one golden ticket per year to give out, so you win that. Comp- That's a big piece, uh, a big sign of endorsement. And then, of course, it it's up to the company, to startup, and the pharma sponsor if they want to make more of that. In some cases, we've had strong relationships developed during that year of golden ticket, and they ended up in licensing or collaborating or, or, or even M and A. In other cases, they give you the golden ticket, and then. There's no more contact, but that's really up to the you the entrepreneur and yeah. and the sponsoring uh, company
1: definitely yeah. um, that's great um, on the maybe on to finish on the on the more personal note or more personal development note that we I remember once when we met in Boston, you talked about business coach and uh and you were saying, yeah, it took you quite, I mean, quite a while to get the business coach and you recommend it quite strongly to a lot of your portfolio companies and it's pretty hard to convince them. And that's at the time when I was starting to work with a business coach as well. Mm-hmm. Can you, yeah, maybe a bit elaborate there or did you change your mind since? So what's like, what's your view there? I think it- Especially in the biotech, a yeah. bit, in the bio context, I mean, general entrepreneurship, but bio context.
0: I can only really really comment in the bio context, but I think it's probably true in every context, is that um, we all need feedback, Mm. right? Um, You maybe get feedback from your spouse on your daily behavior, but they cannot probably give you a lot of feedback on your business things because they don't see it and they um, uh, don't understand it. Maybe they're in a different world. They may or may not understand it. And... And so, in a way, a coach can be a therapist, a partner, a, a mentor, and, and a teacher of things, right? Uh, and I deal with a lot of employees or a lot of entrepreneurs who are not trained business people and who are not trained entrepreneurs, so they're very good at science, they're very good at a cancer pathway, or they're very good at engineering a certain electronic circuit but they're not very good managers or they're not very good uh, salespeople of their pitch uh, or they're not very good understanders of their own self and how they uh, come across to other people. And so that's where having a business coach that's on your side, that helps you think through issues and maybe even practice is so valuable. Mm. Um, So I've sent many of, of my promising employees when they were scientists or engineers to basic uh, uh, business training yeah. where they learn thing a- and this is even you can take sort of a course right like mm. where you do things like how to talk with a difficult employee how to have a difficult discussion with an employee mm-hmm. right how to like all of these many things that that you need to learn to become a manager, because no one teaches that to a medical student. No one teaches that when you when you're taking a PhD in biology. Okay. BA cap-
1: part of, but not really, and it's not really right. Practical. Yeah. And
0: yeah. So, so the one is the the management and leadership piece, and then there's of course, um, then there's of course the sounding board for um, negotiation, how to how to set this up, and then there's always the piece of personal interaction and you know business is nothing else but but also personal relationships now it's about money but the personal relationships that people have with their clients with their investors with their employees they're very real and they form their behavior leading to either success or failure in many cases that's independent of the business case mm-hmm. right just because people start hating each other and not trusting each other or they maybe maybe they're too trustful all of that happens right and so that's where I have greatly benefited from the... I've had various people as coaches, formal coaches and informal over the years. I've been part of groups of CEO roundtables, also a very helpful setup uh, where you sit with... We, 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 you meet once a month or so with other leaders of business that yeah. may be in very different industries. And then you find out that the challenges that you have are oftentimes very much the same Right, I was with a guy who had an electric business. Another guy was an air conditioning entrepreneur, big time. The other one had an, an uh, ultrasound business or a healthcare consulting a investment banker. We all face the same trouble, yeah. right? Like these employees that fit or they don't fit, the co-investors or the business partners where we butt heads with. Based on the general business. Very, topic, very similar. Yeah. yeah. But I I can only recommend that, and uh, we in some cases we know that um, entrepreneurs in our spaces have self-organized to form those groups. That's really awesome because then you don't. Sometimes it's very expensive. You have to pay a moderator, um, but it's completely worth it. If if you have the money in the company, it's completely worth investing in yourself a little bit of that uh, by by hiring a coach, uh, paying for some of that joining one of these uh, groups.
1: I mean, and we call it business coach, but it's not just for the business topics. It's I mean, it's a professional coach, but can be on, on any kind of topics. Uh, but I find it maybe, but I find it not in, in the biotech context. I find that quite a lot of coaching, of course, that can be on general topics, but also on the, let's say, day-to-day. It rapidly goes into also strategic slash the management of employee has a had it has a bio or a topical context, so I found it for info. For my coach has a background in bio, okay, uh, and a background in tech, which is very rare to find both mm-hmm. entrepreneur and multi entrepreneur. But it's definitely very helpful, even just to understand the product you're building. Even though he might not help you on the product, but mm-hmm. it might it gives yeah the feedback and think
0: just more because have you seen this so it's like so I uh, none of my coaches had been entrepreneurs in my space directly, and so for me it was mostly uh, always the discussion about sort of the general business general and relationship and management things Um, but I've had these uh, mentors that are expert repeat serial entrepreneurs or investors on my boards or as as partners now in the venture capital fund um and so i think it's very useful for entrepreneurs to seek out these people that they can trust yeah. right and and build a relationship you don't go and say will you be my mentor but you you build that trusted relationship and you get feedback and you check in with them on, on a somewhat regular basis and and that's that's very helpful yeah. and it's also important to to pass that on right and i mean you're doing that with your podcast yeah. here, right like you you enable people to hear from other people's perspective which is very useful.
1: Right? That's great. And maybe what what what's what's the one thing you are you're working on at the moment on the personal development?
0: Um I try to be somewhat patient in the face of headwinds um, and not freak out uh, when the numbers don't look as good. So we are currently facing some headwinds in the United States as mm. you may know the Funding is tough for our startups. That translates immediately into worse year uh, for us than previous years, right? Because our clients don't have money, so they can't have as much space Mm -hmm. with us. They can't order as many goods and things and services with us. So I see this as a challenge to also improve our business. It's always, I think, really in times of headwinds and even crisis that, you see, you know, is a business built well, solidly, or uh, or not? And it gives you opportunity to maybe trim some fat around the edges and concentrate on, you know, are you building unit costs that are sustainable? And and are you building a team and a culture that will also carry you through the the tough times? It's very easy to build a company in up years because if you build inefficiencies and you have growth, you won't even see them, yeah, right? Yeah. Because the growth may be bigger than the inefficiency, but it's in the flat years or in the down years where this Just comes. Test the from. fundamentals and the one hundred percent. One hundred percent.
1: How do you? How do you work on your patience?
0: Thank you. I don't know. I take <laughs> walks. Um, I work out. Yeah. Um, those are the simple things.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's because nah, yeah. it's interesting. Patients always like, oh yeah, you need to be more patient. But when it comes to the how to develop such a
0: skill I think it's it's, first of all it's reflecting and and Mm. not being too overly impulsive in your decision making Mm. and and yeah so I I know that you need to have a good balance with your physical situation if you mind and body Mm. totally Mm. right like if you feel bad um, because your back is painful or you haven't slept or like then you you aren't your full self and you're not going to perform very well and maybe you make stupid decisions right um I'm not perfect in that, but I try <laughs> to like at least stretch and work out in the morning or go for a run, yeah. and that's very helpful. I I have much better days when I have a workout in the morning than yeah. when I rush to my first meeting because I I didn't plan in for the time.
1: Yeah. Okay. I think we yeah, yeah we could uh, discuss longer. On I know you did a lot on that yourself, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I I experiment quite a lot. On uh-huh. that. But for anyone, patience is very interesting on that. I mean, first it's multifactorial, but really uh, the how to work on it is is, is, is tricky. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and to know, I mean, patience also is, has the two sides usually, and any kind of quality has also you, you... upside-down so, sides. I'm, or I'm not talking slow... about complacency, right? Right, I'm, uh, it can be complacency. It can be make you slower, slower decision making. So it's also like, and it conflicts with other yeah. values. So that's why I'm also curious on like how. But it sounds for you, patients, more also from a, you know energy management mm-hmm. overall of being
0: more balanced and taking yeah, and not decision and not freaking out in um, in when bad news comes. And, like, you I have to do this a step, take, a step take a step back and and put it in perspective.
1: Otherwise, nice. nice. maybe to to wrap through if you if you yeah, if people want to learn more about you or follow you, I think you're quite active on on
0: Twitter. Yeah, I I used to love Twitter. <laughs> Twitter is clinging no, path. I I may need to look for a new platform, but it's so convenient. You have Twitter and, and LinkedIn, you have LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, yeah. um, and that's it so yeah. far. I I read that there's new platforms, and I'm I need to learn about
1: step that step by step. Yeah. yeah, not great. Then,
0: yeah, but can... I'm I'm happy. To, so, if any one of your listeners show up in Boston or they're in, in Boston, they will always be welcome. They can they can say that you know they looked at our podcast. Yeah, they can come to lab central, any of our BioLabs locations. You can easily link uh, find me on LinkedIn and say uh, that they want to connect, and we'll have a chat. Typically, I like to meet people in person first before I link with them. Yeah. Um, but so I'm, I'm fairly accessible in Boston. Yeah. So basically,
1: reach out, uh, reach out to Johannes. Uh, great. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Leip. Uh, great conversation.
0: Great to chat with you as always.
1: Me again, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And uh, thanks a lot for listening to the end. If you're keen, please hit the follow button somewhere, maybe. Or the like, review, share button, share it with some connections. It would help us a lot, especially this early in the show. Uh, and before telling you more, what's behind the show? I would say big kudos and and thanks to the team: Kieran, web development; uh, Caswin in marketing; Marianne, logistics; Wayne in editing. They did an amazing job, and there's a lot of hard work I uh, put into 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 the show. So now. What's behind? So, SlotBio, the company was founded in March 2022. I'm one of the founder, and previously I founded labiotech.eu. And we started the company building a marketplace for the biotech industry, but we didn't have enough product market fit. So we decided to pivot to a content business uh, with the first product being, being the podcast. We don't want to create, you know, yet another podcast. There's already a lot of them around. Uh, but we believe Europe needs a high quality long-form uh, podcast to help both professionals and biotech enthusiasts be better informed grow and just be better at what at what they're doing uh, and so that's uh, why we are uh, creating that podcast we are selecting the best UPS in biotech we can, uh, find and uh, we are interviewing mostly actually offline so we can have really the highest quality both technical aspect but most importantly on the dance and the content and the flow of the of the content we release one episode around one episode per month on all the major platforms money-wise we are financed by our own private investments uh, and our business model is based on advertisement so it's the uh, sponsored messages slots that you have in in each episode um, and we are sponsored by financial support for individuals and corporate so anyway i will not make like it longer uh, if you are i hope you share our vision and if you're keen to hear more or you want to reach out or you want to share some feedback please uh, send us an email hi at flot.bio again thanks for listening and see you in the next episode bye